In episode 7 of the Lost of Words podcast, I was joined by Golf Channel's Will Gray as we take a deeper dive into the new PGA Tour schedule and how this will affect the majors, the Ryder Cup and other things going forward. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Lost Words podcast. Today I'm joined by Will Gray from the Golf Channel. Yeah, we're going to discuss the, the new schedule, uh, the changes to the, the FedEx Cup race um, and just sort of different things that are going on due to this COVID-19 crisis. Will, thank you for joining me. Yeah, Tom, good to be with you. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, and yourself. Um, obviously, you, you're, you're in Florida. Um, bit of a strange situation, of course, where there's sort of up and down, depending on what city and places that you're in, whether you can play golf and, and how sort of strict the quarantine rules are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, over here, it's state by state, county by county. There's kind of a running list of, you know, these courses in your area are open and these ones are closed. You know, as we speak now, it's about a a 50-50 split across the U.S. in terms of what are open and what are closed. And uh, certainly some states are, are more liberal than others in terms of what they're allowing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we spoke, didn't we, on uh, Twitter the other day, and we were sort of um, debating really um, who who we expected to come back from this the best and who would benefit most from the delay. Um, and that was based on an August-September date. Um, and, and in the past week, we've obviously had a, a June schedule now released um how, what are your thoughts on what have you heard about what people were thought about it coming back in june are people thinking it's too soon is it definitely sort of going to go ahead yeah i mean i think it's it's still a little early i mean the tour just announced this this june schedule uh yesterday as we're as we're talking and so i think that overall it, it was well received i mean in talking to a couple of tour officials they've spoken with players and the input they've received is that guys are are eager and they're anxious to get back to doing what they what they know best and that was certainly reflected in, in the latest schedule. I think a lot of safety precautions will have to be put into place to make sure that it's done in a proper way. But I do think that if you certainly if you ask, you know, any range of PGA Tour players, would you rather be playing competitive golf or sitting at home driving your, your wife or girlfriend nuts or, or trying to play left handed matches or, or whatever? I mean, I think that they would much rather get back to. To doing what they know how to do yeah absolutely and i think the other thing as well is i think it's um it's kind of uplifting isn't it for for, for yourself and for people like us the, the fans that that want to obviously get a bit of normality back into into the world obviously first and foremost the biggest issue is health and safety um and and of course no one wants the tour to go ahead of it is going to cause sort of compromise health and safety issues but if they can get it out there and get it done safely and the first four events i think at least are, are meant to be with no fans um then let's try and get it back as soon as we can yeah and i certainly think that you know from a planning perspective none of this is, is set in stone and tour executives will will say as much but i think that they needed something to shoot for and i think that this gives them what they believe to be a realistic and viable target to to potentially roll out and and if you look at how the world has changed over the last, you know, four or five weeks. And then you project that forward to, to how different the world might look four or five or eight weeks from now, that certainly a lot of things are shifting very quickly. And, and so they needed to at least just put a target out there and say, all right, this is what we hope to be able to achieve. These are the parameters that we will need to have in order to make it work successfully and safely. And then we'll just have to see how things go over the next coming weeks. Absolutely, because what the when the first schedule came out, when obviously in August and through to November with the with the Masters, and there was a lot of majors in there, and there was a Ryder Cup in there, and and the three FedEx Cup events, but it sort of felt, oh, I say, how do you pack those FedEx Cup playoff events in there when we've had a half a season, if you like? But certainly with this June schedule now, it sort of, as we were talking earlier, it sort of makes it more credible uh, FedEx Cup race and season rather than just a few small events. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that this is where, you know, the tour benefits from starting even a month earlier last year in terms of the wraparound schedule that we were so used to going October to September. And this is the first year that we're, we're going from September to August, or, or that was at least the plan. And so, yeah, they've already got 22 events in the bank that the season, even when it was, you know, called off at the players in mid-March, you had half the season already played. And so when you add in the events that they anticipate playing, I think the number that they're scheduled for now is 36. And, and the term that the tour executives are using is they believe that will be a credible season, quote unquote. And I think that it's a situation where if you start losing any further events, if you can't get the events that are now on the schedule played, that's when it could become a gray area of do we have enough of a season to award a FedEx Cup champion to feel like you have a full season or, or close enough to a full season. Uh, but I saw someone, I, I forget who it was on Twitter yesterday, that pointed out if you've got 36 events this season, as it is currently constituted, you had 40 events in 2013, the year before the tour moved to the wraparound, and that was certainly felt like a full season. They awarded a FedEx Cup. No one had an issue. So I think you're getting pretty close to apples and apples, and, and the tour is pretty confident, it seems, that if they can pull off this restart in mid-June and they can play all the way through the FedEx Cup playoffs that now run into early September, I think that they feel like they will have a credible champion and, and a, a credible playoff system. Absolutely. And I think the other thing, we're looking at the top end of the scale here, the FedEx Cup winners and, and what that means for a player, obviously the, the Tour Championship and the, the 10 million race and things like that. But there's also players out there that are trying to fight for their card and keep their status. And, um, you know, how, obviously how they should be able to benefit from the extra events as well, because they need a, a fair amount of events to actually keep their card. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that we are we're entering some murky waters and there could be some domino effects in play in terms of you know, you might have a credible season from the PGA Tour perspective, but the Corn Ferry only had six events played, and they've now had, you know, more than 12 are canceled or postponed. And I think that it's very difficult to see that there's going to be a, a full enough season from the Corn Ferry Tour to where you would have guys be able to move up or move down, you know, from those ranks. And so I, I think that we could be, be inching closer towards kind of this mega season concept where you have, you know, 2020 and 2021 count as one big season where you don't have guys moving up, you don't have guys moving down, you might not have Q school in the fall in terms of entryways to, for guys to earn promotions, that you might basically be stuck at the level you're at right now until the end of 2021. And maybe if the PGA Tour is able to have a full season with the FedEx Cup in September, maybe you have a reshuffle of, of priority rankings and, and so forth among the guys who already have their cards, but you don't have to demote guys if guys aren't coming up. And so I, I think that even if you have a FedEx Cup and Tour Championship as, as planned right now, the Corn the Ferry Tour and then you get into the McKenzie Tour, Latino America, all the, the developmental circuits down the, down the line, it's hard to envision them having a full enough 2020 season right now. And, and so I think that you could really have a, a situation where you have 2020 and 2021 wrapped into one big season and then you start getting back into promotions and relegations you know, maybe 15 months from now. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Corn Ferry Tour there because they've actually they've now announced, haven't they, that they have plans to come back in June as well, um, and they're sort of starting off with a new event. If it's, my understanding is correct. Yeah, yeah, it's it's described as a one-off event. It's going to be at, at uh, TBC Sawgrass, which is basically in the shadow of PGA Tour headquarters, so certainly a more controlled environment and one that the tour officials know well. You've got a lot of players, not all, but you do you do have a lot that are based in Florida or in the Southeast, so you know you could have a lot of guys driving instead of flying to that event that's uh, slated for the June 11 to 14. It's the same week as, as the PJ Tour is expecting to get back to work at, at Colonial. And, 
And it's at a course that Corn Ferry guys will know well that it, it, it's, a, it's not the, the stadium course, but it's the other course, the Die Valley course that hosted uh, the then Web.com Tour Championship for, for three years uh, from, I think, 13 to 15. So it, it has hosted a Corn Ferry Tour event. And, and so I think that they've looked at this as a way to get up and running in a, a more controlled environment that maybe will have a, a few fewer variables than potentially starting at anywhere else in the country or on their schedule. Yeah, and also another point that you made there is uh, that a lot of people are based in Florida and, and that makes things a lot easier there. Um, we talk about flying there. There are, uh, as you mentioned on, on Twitter, there are a lot of inter- international players and caddies that are actually worried about being able to, to get to these events, especially in June, uh, maybe you know August and, and November, it may be a bit easier, but certainly for this first part of this new schedule coming in, that they may not even be able to make the events. Yeah, absolutely. The, the tour said yesterday that they've identified at least 25 players and at least 35 caddies who are currently living outside the U.S. And as you mentioned, there are you know international travel bans are, are currently in place. Whether or not they would be lifted in time for a, a mid-June restart remains to be seen. But um, that is that's another situation where the tour said, listen, if we have players, tour members who are impacted like that and they physically cannot get to an event, that's certainly viewed differently than guys who who are able to get to an event and choose not to play. Uh, so if guys are, are barred from international travel or, or can't get there from a logistic perspective, the tour did say that then they could look to extending status uh, and membership for those players into 2021. And then that starts that domino effect that we spoke about in terms of, you know, if you've got PGA Tour status extending into 21, it's hard to see the the Corn Ferry guys moving up and down and, and you inch closer towards that, that big mega season concept. Right, absolutely. And I think this is what people not overlook because I think everyone understands that there is a, a big uh, domino effect in anything that happens. But certainly when people just want events back on, they don't consider the factors of some that can't make it. Um, also, there's things like medical exemptions and, and places that are obviously up, up for grabs as well. That you know, there, there's so much that goes into planning these events that this is why there's been such a delay. Um, and obviously, that's why they sort of focus on getting the August schedule out there first. But then They've obviously managed to wrap it all up or something close to it to get this June start going ahead. Yeah, it certainly seems like that. And, and as you mentioned, there's a lot of moving parts just on the membership side. I mean, you, you kind of have two different or more than two probably buckets of, of things you're dealing with. You know, the one is the logistics of just how do we pull off this event, even without fans? Who are, who are the essential personnel that are going to be allowed on the, on the grounds? Who do we keep out? How do you socially distance guys in the locker room and players from caddies on the range and things like that? But then, as you mentioned, you get into the membership stuff of, you know, when you have players on both sides of the Atlantic that that play both the European and PGA Tour, there are event minimums in terms of starts that you have to make to to satisfy membership requirements on both sides. How are those going to be impacted? How are the medical guys going to be impacted? How are endorsement contracts that require minimum starts or or certain number of rounds? How are those going to be impacted? There's it's a it's a whole butterfly effect going on right now. And I think that a lot of these questions are tabled for the for the time being because you really need that firm restart time to, to start evaluating those sort of concepts. Maybe now with this announcement from the PGA Tour, we're moving closer to that, that point where you can start evaluating how this is going to look. But I do think that right now, up until then, we were just kind of all in limbo. And these are all questions percolating around and, and good for fodder and Twitter discussion. But it, it's hard to really evaluate them with any credence until you have a firm restart. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing as well is we see many events where the sort of the, the big guys on tour that that skip an event or have two or three weeks off at a time, and and certainly that that allows some players to get sponsors invites and qualifiers. And I don't think there's any Monday qualifiers going ahead at all right now. If that's 
if that's correct. And um, but certainly from the sponsorship side of things, is that you're not going to see these guys get exemptions in some like they would normally. And and events that are going ahead, say at Colonial, where the field may not be as strong as uh, you know year on year, are we certainly going to see some of the big get names get there and and sort of, as they're itching to get back into action? Yeah, I would certainly think so. I mean, I saw Kevin Kisner uh, noted on Twitter. He was someone asked him about the John Deere Classic. Are you going to go play the Deer, which is usually you know the week before the Open, it gets a weaker field. And Kisner said the John Deere is going to have the best field it's ever had, which is, <laughs> which is very clear right now. I mean, especially without having you know the Open the week after it. But but you're right, the guys are going to be chomping at the bit. They're going to try and get back. The tour has already added some of the some size to the fields that these invitationals like Colonial and the Memorial, which are usually. 120 guys that they're now going to be 144 so you're already going to have additional playing opportunities even if the monday qualifier stuff is, isn't quite sorted out yet i agree with you i think that probably we won't be having monday qualifiers or at least for the time being but i don't know that that's 100 percent yet but but yeah i think that you could see guys play events that they're they're typically not playing just because you've had the last two or three months so many events that they would have played have now gone away and, and guys are going to be looking to get back i do think that there's going to be an emotional side of it where some of the big names are going to want to be part of, you know, golf's return and the return of professional sports, especially if golf ends up being one of the first uh, to return in some form. And certainly they're, they're the first right now to kind of announce a plan to return. You know, you've got NBA and, and baseball and, and those are still kind of working through things. But if golf is really the first sport to, to return, I think there's going to be a big sense of, hey, I want to be a part of this. This is, you know, a, a novel concept and, and something new that we've all experienced. And I want to kind of be a part of, of bringing it back to the, to the limelight, even if there are no fans there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's an interesting take on there is that there are players that will be desperate to be a part of that and the first event back. But we saw, obviously, one player outspoken in CT Pan at the Players' Championship where he obviously said that it wasn't safe for him to play and in the end that the event got cancelled. Do you think there's going to be players that, that will take that stand? Have you heard anything at all where the players are really not keen to get back in June or is everyone kind of on the same page that if they say we can go, we're going to go? Yeah, I don't think that it's it's a blanket sentiment one way or the other. I'm sure that there are probably going to be guys who who like CT Pan at the players. Maybe they, they don't feel comfortable. I know that that question was uh, addressed to the, the some tour officials yesterday on a media conference call, and they said basically, listen, the players are independent contractors, and it's up to them if they want to play or not. Uh, the tour wasn't really going to take a stance on on what would be, you know, how they would view a player who opted not to for safety reasons, but. But one tour official did liken it to uh, post 9-11. They said, listen, we had events after 9-11 where guys were, were not feeling entirely comfortable with getting back on a plane and traveling to an event. And, and they said that's kind of that's up to the individual player. Uh, and certainly they treat that differently than some of the stuff we were talking about in terms of international guys who can't get to an event even if they want to. Um, but I do think that there are, there are going to be some safety concerns from the players. Now, that being said, I think that the the, the entire restart from the tour is predicated upon having a safe environment that seems very much to hinge on widespread testing. Uh, you know, the, the tour was saying yesterday that right now the, the testing is, is going into the, the healthcare industry and hospitals, but they, they envision a situation where down the road and, and certainly by mid-June that they feel confident that they're going to have enough widespread testing to be able to regularly test players and, and potentially caddies and any other essential personnel that are going to be on site. Uh, and so I think that that's going to be a very big and important part of getting this restart off the ground is will they have adequate testing and will they be able to do it, uh, you know, on the ground and be able to ensure a safe environment? Absolutely. I think that, you know, you mentioned a point there with, with the essential people that are required at a golf event. Now, 
obviously there is the players and the caddies, there's the scorers, there's shot link trackers and people like that, but obviously the media themselves as well. Um, you know, if you, you need to go and cover an event like yourself, um, has there been any rumblings at all about whether media would be allowed in for the first few events, or is it a case of sort of like these guys are just going to play and there'll be the TV personnel there to to actually program it, but obviously writers and things like that may not be allowed in? Yeah, that's something that the tour is currently uh, discussing, I would say, that I, I would personally envision that there will be some media and writer presence, but I, I would certainly expect it to be limited and and more limited than what we saw before this whole pandemic came through. I think that, you know, from our side, when we're watching, you know, the, the briefings from the White House and the Rose Garden or, or if there are any international briefings where the press are involved, you see social distancing guidelines are in effect and people are sitting several feet away from each other and you have more limited personnel than you would when people were sitting shoulder to shoulder. So I, I think that there, there could be uh, potentially some media representation, but I certainly, you know, without any, any inside knowledge on how it's exactly going to be, because I think that the tour has admitted that this is something that they're still evaluating, I would expect it to be existing, but more limited than what we're used to seeing, at least for these first few events as, as they get started. And it's the thing, so obviously that, that we we can imagine there will be TV coverage of these events. It's not going to be sort of completely dark on that, but certainly the things like the PGA Tour app and, and scoring, I mean, it, have you heard anything about the scoring and, and the shot link data at all? Yeah, I think that the shot link is a big question mark, and certainly you have, to, you have to balance things where right now with everyone being at home, the consumer appetite is going to be at an all-time high. People want as much coverage as they, as they can get. They want as much shot link data as you can get, and, and they want – you know, basically to immerse themselves in, in some sort of viewing product of live sports. But then on the flip side, increasing all of those or, or even having, having them as offerings is going to increase the amount of people you have on the ground. And that's kind of counterpoint to what they're, they're trying to achieve. So, so are the gains of additional coverage or of providing shot link going to be worth, you know, implementing hundreds of extra people on the ground and, and walking around the course? That's something that they're, they're definitely weighing right now. I don't think that they have a definitive answer as of yet, in terms of, listen, this is clearly you're, you're in column A of essential personnel and column B is not. Uh, I think that that's still very much a, a fluid situation and, and one that they're going to hopefully sort out over the next few weeks. Yeah, and I think we'll just go uh, skip ahead now. There's been some events that we know that are back on the schedule. Obviously, we're starting back at Colonial. All the majors are in. Um apart from the Open Championship. But there is one event that has actually been removed from the schedule in the Greenbrier. Um, obviously, it's, it's an event that moved in the schedule prior to this anyway. Um, and it's my understanding is that they've actually struggled with that move um, into the full season. And, and as a result, they're kind of, it's a mutual termination of the event itself. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the tour said it's by mutual agreement that they're they're not having it in 2020 and they're they're not having it uh, further. I mean, I, the, the contract was... The, the tournament was under contract with the tour through 2026, uh, and, and right now they're pulling the plug. Uh, I think that there are a lot of, first of all, personally, I'm going to miss the event. I covered it a few years back. It's a great event. It's a very, very cool vibe up in the mountains in West Virginia. You've got all the tour players and their families are all staying right there at the resort. You've got a downstairs casino, which has lots of fun action, and you get to see who's you know burning the midnight oil at the craps table and all that stuff. But uh, I do think that, that there are some, some issues in terms of, first of all, the Greenbrier being you know, a, a resort and in the hospitality industry and trying to to get through this current crisis, they're they're disproportionately affected, I would say. And, and they've they've got to handle that on, on one end. And then you have the other issue of, you know, the Greenbrier was bought by this guy, Jim Justice, in 2009. And, and in the time that they've had this relationship with the tour, he was elected governor of West Virginia. So now he's leading the state 
the family is running the resort as part of a trust thing. It's it's kind of a and you know, maybe not awkward, but it's certainly a unique situation in terms of you know that resort dealing with the tour, having an event. But as you mentioned, yeah, they moved to the fall. It was always over July Fourth weekend, in, in, which is big in the U.S. And they moved it to the September to the season opener this year. And and according to the resort, they said it, it just kind of fell flat. They said that there was a significant loss of interest uh, among sponsors, a significant dip in attendance. At that point, you've got local universities are getting back into the swing of things, and and they're you know playing college football at, at West Virginia and Virginia Tech, and and so folks kind of have their interests going elsewhere. And and there was a, a big confluence of factors. I think that went into uh, leading to the premature demise of this event. Yeah, and I think also we've got to remember that the, it was it was cancelled in 2016, wasn't it, for the flooding? And yeah, you know, this is an event that obviously has had its struggles in the past as well. So um, obviously, like you said, there you've covered the reasons why they're, they're mutually agreeing to terminate the the contract. But is there have they had any announcements at all about the what could go in its place? I mean, obviously at the moment they're they're probably just focusing on any events they can get in and and not looking to announce any new ones. But um, is there any courses that have sort of put their hat in the ring for a new event? Uh, I don't know of any any right now. I do know that just from based on uh, Twitter reaction, which is always the most scientific way to get any data, I did see a lot of people coming uh, and mentioning to me, "Hey, let's get the tour back to Firestone." And there was a there's a big sentiment in that Northeast Ohio uh, region of let's get back to, to Firestone. That's an, a course that was held in high regard among the players, um, and and it's one that that hosted a WGC event for several years, and then that shifted to Memphis. Now that hosts the Senior Players Tournament, which is is not uh, certainly the same caliber as a uh, upper tier PGA Tour event, but that's a course that you know has is is well regarded among the players and has a history of, of hosting a big tournament potentially. I mean, just geographically, when you add losing this event in in West Virginia with you know the loss of the Quicken Loans National or the National whatever it ended up being called, you know, a couple years back that was in that in that Maryland Washington D.C. area, there's a big dearth of of PGA Tour action in, in communities where they've you know, previously held multiple events. And so I think that there could be a geographic interest of potentially if you're going to add a new event, maybe we keep it in that same region to make sure that they're satisfying those those fans and, and sponsors in that area of, of providing an event. But I think, as you mentioned, right now, they're just trying to get their head above water. They have so many events they had to had to cancel or postpone already this year that any any week that might open up, they have lots of people in line that they will be able to, to put in. And so I think that it's going to wait until... 2021 and maybe even beyond that to where they can kind of see how things have settled, see how the financial implications have, have played out and decide, hey, are we in a position where we could potentially add an event? Because honestly, this might not be the last event that goes away. There are there are so many ripple effects that still have yet to be understood and, and really felt to to an entire degree that, that, that yeah, it's ter- certainly feasible that there are other sponsors or other events that might not be able to, to move forward. And then the tour is just going to have to assess what their options are at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that you sort of touched on there is that, you know, these guys are just trying to get their head above water. They're trying to get the the events put in place. And certainly in Europe, on the European tour, I mean, they're they're still just announcing cancellation and postponements of events. And, you know, as as of now, there is still no date to return on the European tour. So, um, I mean, I'm assuming that some of these top guys can can get into the PGA fields. Um, certainly, you know, the John Rams and the Tommy Fleetwoods and people like that. But the guys that would normally sort of try and and 
sort of work their way through European Tour events, get up into the world rankings to get into PGA events before the majors, um, they're just certainly not going to have anywhere to play at the moment. And with a PGA Championship coming up in, in August, potentially, and, and a Ryder Cup, you know, it's hard for these European Tour guys to, to really get a footing in the world rankings. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's a lot a lot of, you know, issues to unpack with that. And you mentioned the world rankings already this morning. There are some European guys coming out and saying, hey, how are we going to restart the world rankings if only the PGA Tour is able to go? If you've got a European player that, that literally doesn't have an option to play and the PGA Tour is going and they're getting ranking points and moving up and I'm stuck at home in quarantine, how is that fair? And that's an issue that the, the world ranking folks are going to have to sort out. But, yeah, I mean, right now, it's, there's a situ, there's a scenario where the first European tour event back could be in Memphis. That it might not even even be in Europe. It could be that WGC event uh, in in late July, early August. And then, as you mentioned, the next week is the PGA Championship. So there there are going to be uh, likely limited playing opportunities for guys in Europe who might not be of that top tier where they're getting into that WGC event and or other you know PGA Tour events if they don't have PGA Tour status. I think it's understandable. The, the the differences between what the PGA Tour is doing and the European Tour, just because the PGA Tour is dealing with one country, one government, essentially one you know set of standards, and, and Keith Pelley is trying to handle multiple governments who are approaching this very differently, who have you know caseloads of X, Y, and Z. There are so many additional variables of trying to cross international borders right now that, that that's why I think that's why we saw the Open get canceled as early as it did, and that's why we're seeing some of these cancellations from the European Tour carrying through the end of July. Uh, it's going to be tough to, to figure out when they're going to be able to get back up and running. And, and Pelly was open that he said, listen, the European tour, the, the product is going to look a little bit different from, from players. For players' perspective, that last week he said, we might not have the lounges you're used to. We might not have courtesy cars. The, the prize money could be down. Uh, at least this week, as he's postponing the Scottish Open and canceling two other events, there seemed to be a glimmer of hope where he said, I think moving forward, all of my updated information is going to be a positive nature that now he seems to think that they're close to turning a corner and being able to, like the PGA Tour did, say this is when we think we're going to restart. But right now they're not there yet, and that's certainly a tough position for them to uh, to try and get through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the critical thing that you mentioned there is that, that America, as large as it is, is one country, whereas you know Europeans, you've got to deal with the different governments, the French government, the German government, all, all these different factors that, that come into that. So Remember so, when Brexit was going to be the big issue? That was that was going to be the big thing. How do we handle Brexit and how do we, yeah. how do we handle it? And now Brexit seems to be uh, less of a, of a pressing need, it would seem. Absolutely. I think that was when when Brexit was happening over here in, in England, certainly was uh, that was the, the worst, worst thing that we could think of and the worst thing imaginable. And then uh, and then this happens. Um, so certainly that that would be uh, I'd actually be with happy with some Brexit news right now because, right. you know, all, all we hear about is the coronavirus and COVID-19. But. You know, it's it's certainly strange that th- these European tour guys are really sort of out in the cold, if you like, because, but, it, you know, as you said there, Keith Petty really has no chances to, to give them anything else because he, he's doing absolutely everything he can. And I think the PJ Tour are probably in a better position where they can put a schedule out. And if they can't quite stick to it, then, you know, so be it. They, they've got backup plans and contingencies. Whereas the European Tour, I think anything they, they want to put out, they want to be able to stick to, right away and not be able to sort of give up false hope. Yeah, I definitely think that that's, that's certainly a, a big factor. And, and then you look at just how much of the European tour schedule has already been impacted. And, and are they, you know, it goes back to some other discussions of the, of the other tours that maybe they're in a position that they're going to have to move faster than the PJ tour might towards a, a mega season of, of 2021 counting as one season, just because, 
you know, the logistics of, of this are going to be so difficult to pull off from an international perspective and, and not only getting, you know, governments to okay the events, but then you've got to, you know, with, with PJ tour events, you have the vast minority of, of players are having to cross an international border to get to an event. As we mentioned, they've, they've got 25 players and 35 caddies that they know of that are outside the U S and maybe half of those guys might play in any, any one event that they're trying to do versus the European tour is usually on the flip side. If you're having the BMW international open in Germany, you've got almost, you know, all the players are going to have, have to get into Germany from somewhere else. Whereas only a small percentage are already in Germany and would be able to just, you know, drive to the event or not cross a border. So I think that right now, one of the, one of the lasting effects that we're going to see, at least in the short term of this crisis is it's going to be, you know, borders are going to be a little more firm and it's going to be harder to logistically travel from one country to another. And, and you're potentially facing quarantines before you leave or quarantines after you get back or, or all sorts of issues that, that make this very difficult to pull off from, from a global perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think also with the, the European tour we saw last year with the change in schedule for uh, the BMW PGA at Wentworth. Uh, we had a lot of guys come over from the PGA, uh, Billy Horschel, Tony Finau, uh, Victor Hovland, all played on in that event. And, and that's not, I don't suppose that's really going to be an option they can offer this time around because they, they've got to try and offer the whole field to the guys that if, if this event even goes ahead this year, that, that the European tour players will have to have first priority. And maybe that makes it a slightly less attractive event for, for viewership. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think that then once you get it, it you know, it's kind of evolving through the, through the steps here that they need to get a firm return date. They have to understand what the schedule is going to look like once they get back to it. And then, as you mentioned, that you need to start tackling those membership issues. And that's some of the things that the PJ tour is addressing by expanding fields and, and increasing player opportunities, knowing that they need to get those guys options and, and get, give them tournaments if they're going to potentially hold a playoff and have a FedEx Cup champion and all that. And and that's going to be something that, that Pelly and those guys are going to have to sort through because you're right, you can't have, if, if, if so many European tour events are already wiped off the map and if you've got the Irish Open and the Scottish Open, two Rolex Series events that have that have been postponed, if you can't get those back on the schedule, that yeah, you need to be able to, your first priority needs to be to the guys that are full-fledged European Tour members and and the flexibility they may have had elsewhere or in previous years to open it up to guys ranked in the top 50 or or Amer- top Americans that are on regularly on the PGA Tour. I think that that flexibility might be limited this year. Absolutely, and I think the other thing we've got to the focus on here is that the Ryder Cup is meant to be going ahead as scheduled. Um, we don't know again whether it's going to be with fans or without fans. Um, I think certainly at the moment it's with fans but the, you know this, the team standings at the moment with, with the players that are on the European team and you know you've got people like Victor Perez that's currently in the team Danny Willett Bernd Wiesberger um, but you've got all these kind of really big names that are nowhere near qualifying as so, you know Justin Rose Paul Casey you know there's going to be a limited amount of starts that they can make to, to forge themselves into that team where, where do you think they start looking into the qualification sort of criteria and, and changing that up potentially yeah, I think pretty soon. I think there would be something that would need to be addressed, you know, around the time that the PGA Tour gets back to action. I, I certainly think that there's been a groundswell of support for the notion of just having all 12 captains picks, and and that would probably be bad news for your for Victor Perez, who you mentioned that yeah. you, know, you might have 35 captains picks before Victor Perez gets picked right now. But uh, you know, it, you're right. It, it's hard to have a, a qualification system come to an end where you have guys like. Justin Rose or, or Henrik Stenson or whatever that, that didn't know they were playing their final qualifying event when they played it. Uh, 
And and if they're going to have the event, you want to have it with the top stars. Now, you mentioned the, the fans versus no fans. I don't see any point in playing the Ryder Cup without fans. And certainly that's a sentiment that was echoed by Padraig Harrington. But but you think of how of all the events, the one that you absolutely need fans for is the Ryder Cup because so much of it is about the fan reaction, the cheers, the boos, the interaction, the the songs from both sides, all that stuff. And so that's why I feel like it's uh, you know of all the events that they've got tentatively scheduled right now, I feel like the Ryder Cup is is perhaps more likely than others to get bumped and, and potentially if we're looking at a situation like after September 11th where we just move this back a year and we try again next year because. Even from a U.S. perspective, if you know where they're they're seemingly turning a corner and they're optimistic about the guidelines being uh, eased up upon, and uh, you know the notion of playing golf again in June, it's hard to envision the situation at the end of September in Wisconsin where you're going to have tens of thousands of people stand shoulder to shoulder and and sit at this exhibition sporting event uh, and and not have any concerns about safety. And so I think that. They're holding out hope that they would be able to have that scenario play out. But right now, it's tough to see that. And, and in that case, you might be able to have Colonial without fans or the Heritage without fans. But I personally don't see any point in having the Ryder Cup without fans. And I think that that is something that a lot of, of players would echo. And so potentially we could be looking at, at moving that uh, a year forward. Yeah, I completely agree because, like you say there, I mean, yeah, with, with these regular PGA Tour events, you know, as much as they are – People are going to want to view them and they are going to be exciting for those that have been missing golf. Um, you know, they, they have ramifications in terms of PGA, uh, in terms of FedEx Cup points and, and world ranking points. But the Ryder Cup is, is very much a spectator event. And if, if there's no one there to watch it, you know, is it really? Of course, it's exciting to watch on TV, but but mainly it's the atmosphere that it causes. And and certainly people like Ian Poulter, and they feed off the energy of the crowd. So if there isn't anybody there, is is it really going to be the same event? So it's a very interesting point that you make there that that really and truly, you know, they're holding out hope because I think they don't want to cancel it, but can it realistically go ahead without fans? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that that's, that's going to be a pressing issue. And, you know, the timing is probably going to be similar to when they, you know, when they might have to make a decision on what the qualification system is going to look like. That's probably about the time that they're going to have a good idea of whether or not a late September event with fans is going to be viable. And, and there is an economic impact. I mean, I certainly, you know, we're all well aware of how big of a, of a financial uh, piece of the puzzle for the European tour that, that the, the Ryder cup is when it's in Europe. And, and it's the same for the PGA of America, that the Ryder cup is, is their, their biggest revenue generator. And so I'm sure that they don't want to let it go or even push it back a year and, and things like that. But it, it, at the same time, it, you know, y- yes, it's a, it's a good event to watch on TV, but, but a big reason why it's great on TV is because of the interaction with the fans and, and all the, the just just the entire aura of, of the scene on the first tee. It would be so strange and, and just very odd to have that have players teeing off on the first tee and just have it be quiet like a, like a Thursday event uh, normally would. So that's one that I think that we're not too far away from them having to make that sort of decision, even though it's a tough decision they might have to make. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about the economic effect as well. I mean, these these first four events, especially starting at Colonial, that are expected to be without fans. I mean, how how um, badly are they going to be affected in terms of not having anything on the ground? You know, you can't you can't sell a lot of things. You know, merchandise and and food and drinks and all this sort of stuff. Obviously, they're going to get their the TV revenue and and obviously uh, I guess the money from the tour themselves. But is there a kind of notion from them that they'd actually almost rather wait and postpone their events so that they can have fans at their event? 
Yeah, I, I think it's certainly a, a choice between the lesser of two evils, uh, so to speak, where yeah, if if having an event with, with fans is off the table, then yeah, the question becomes, would you rather have no event or would you rather have an event without fans? And so I think from the PGA Tour's perspective, they certainly want to get a product back up and running, to have something on TV and to have something that fans can engage with again. But if you're that individual event, you're right that you're really taking taking a big hit financially in terms of not having any sort of ticket sales, not having any sort of merchandise, concessions, uh, you know, hospitality tents, all the all those sort of revenue drivers. And, and a big chunk of that is going to charity in, in the areas that are hosting these events. And so there's all sorts of, of implications. But I do think that, uh, you know, you mentioned the, you mentioned it in terms of the, the TV product. And at least if you have a tournament on TV, you can get some some sponsor obligations satisfied. You can have something to promote. Uh, there there are pieces of the puzzle that at least will be able to be put into place, even though it's not the ideal scenario. I think it's certainly better uh, for that event and for, certainly for that sponsor to have a fanless event than not to have any event at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that brings us on nicely to, to my next question is, the PGA Championship is the first major event of, of this new schedule. Um, and that's sort of slated to be started in, in August. Uh, now in California, they're very strict and in San Francisco in particular on their gatherings. And, and I think they sort of released a, a comment saying that, you know, June, July, August, any large stranger gatherings are going to be very difficult to, to organize. So to me, that kind of suggests that the PGA Championship would be without spectators. And, and where, where do you think the tour stands on, on playing a major without spectators versus, you know, at least getting it, getting it going and getting the tour back to normal in terms of major season? Yeah, you're right there in terms of uh, the California governor. It seems pretty aggressive in, in his comments about, you know, what things are going to look like over the next few months and how long it might be before we have events with large gatherings. A, a big focus from an American perspective is, is American football and coming back in the fall. And, and he even mentioned that the notion of having an NFL game with in September with fans doesn't seem to, to jive with what he's seeing in the numbers. And so uh, that's certainly cause for concern if, if you know, I'm the PGA Championship or the PGA of America, and, and and that's really now we get into a little bit of inside baseball in terms of you have the PGA Tour trying to get back up and running, but they don't run or operate any of the four majors, and so the PGA Championship is you know run by the PGA of America as is the Ryder Cup, and so it's really going to be their call more so than the PGA Tour. Now, certainly, you know, the five families of golf are all are all congregating together right now, and you've got folks from the USGA and the PGA of America and the Tour and Augusta National, they're all talking and, and coordinating their their response and their plan. So I don't think that the, the PGA of America officials would necessarily go rogue with what they would decide to do with the PGA Championship. But at the end of the day, it's their event and, and it's a call that they're going to have to make. And, and I do think it's going to be difficult to envision early August having the event as they hope to with fans, similar to the Ryder Cup, but, but maybe to a slightly lesser extent, just the importance of the fans. But but yeah, if, if the, the governor of California is saying that he doesn't foresee you know large gatherings being viable through the summer and into august or september it, it could be a situation where the the governing bodies of golf could want the event to be played as much as they want but if the if the state comes down and says no we're not going to have it here then you're you're in a situation where you either postpone or potentially you know seth Waugh of the pj america has said that one option on the table is relocating the event and maybe they take it to a course that that is in a, a state that it either has more eased restrictions or has less of an impact from the virus where it's a, uh, you know, it's a safer situation for them to potentially have their event. And then they, they try and get back to Harding park in San Francisco uh, another year there. This is unconventional and unprecedented times. I don't think any option 
is off the table right now. And I think that we're still a few weeks away from knowing exactly how everything's going to play out, at least as it relates to the PGA Championship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, as going back to the original point we were making um, at the start of the show was that we were looking at players that are going to almost benefit from the layoff in terms of those that have had injuries, those that are struggling for form. And, and we were basing that discussion on, on an August start, and that was a you know six-month layoff. When there is now, there's going to be nine events scheduled before then. Um, how much, you know, people like Brooks Kepka who's been suffering with a knee injury and, and Tiger who's obviously having back issues. I mean, these guys surely are going to benefit from uh, the majors being moved back, but do they now accelerate their sort of recovery period forward by trying to play in, in these events now that we're back on tour in June? Yeah, I think that that's something that they're going to start to take more seriously, maybe three or four weeks from now. I think that if, you know, if, if we're eight weeks away from this potential restart right now, if we get to the halfway point and if in mid-May, it's still looking pretty good for the tour to get back at, at Colonial in mid-June. I think that that's when you really start to see guys ramp up their their productivity and their preparation. I know I spoke in a, on a media call a couple weeks ago with Xander Shoffley, and he said he'd basically taken about two weeks of, of hard training and practice to really feel like he's, you know, not necessarily to his A game, but to where he feels he would be ready for PGA Tour-level competition. And I think that's probably a pretty fair timeline for a lot of these guys who, who haven't been dealing with injuries. As you said, there have been some that, that might benefit from this, and, and Brooks and Tiger are, are two guys that come to mind in terms of, you know, maybe they're more healthy now than they would have been, you know, in, in the second week of March when we were, we were trying to play at TPC Sawgrass. Even Tiger wasn't even trying at that point. Uh, but, but I do think that we're going to start seeing in, in the three- to four-week prior window, that's when guys are, are going to be really ramping things up. But, but it also goes back to something we talked about earlier, where some guys, even in the U.S., they might be living in a state right now where, where golf courses are closed. And so their their practice options are very limited. And I, and I think a lot of this is predicated upon everyone having a fair chance to get ready, to get their game back up and running. And a lot of that is going to, to come down to, you know, courses being open, states relaxing some of their restrictions that are currently in place. And uh, that's just something we're going to have to see if it comes to play, you know, in a couple weeks from now. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think from the outside looking in for fans, it's certainly an assumption that players have, you know, got simulators in their houses and and a local driving range they can go to whether it's locked down or not and and they can fly private and things like that whereas this isn't the case for you know 95 percent of the guys on tour it's you know it's a limited number of people that can do this and um going back to to, to brooks kepka there he you know everything i've heard over the last week on, on instagram lives and things like that he's saying that the knee feels better but you know, how much then is it going to be a match practice? He's saying that he was actually starting to feel quite good about his game and the results weren't showing it. But, you know, he then needs to, to get in some match sharpness. And if, if they can't even get, you know, a local game in, amongst some guys at their club, you know, how how do they get going and ready for it in June? And, and the discussion we were having was who would be the players that would possibly benefit from, from having a lack of match practice versus others? Yeah, and, and for sure. I mean, we've, in a, a non-coronavirus world, we hear so often from players about how how practice and, and home games don't don't translate necessarily to what you do inside the ropes once once competition starts up. And so I think that it's a situation where you know even now if, if you're talking about the guys that do have simulators or if they have a 50-yard wedge shot in their backyard, that can only do so much in terms of getting them ready for full-blown uh, PGA Tour competition. And so I, I do think that. There's going to have to be some some ramp up involved in terms of getting guys a chance to to play and practice freely. But yeah, I think that you know if you're looking at guys who might benefit, even if you take the injury stuff out of 
the equation, I would go and, and look at guys who maybe weren't playing that well once once we stop because they've got nothing to lose. And two guys that come to mind would be Phil and Jordan Spieth, that they were both you know searching mightily for form in the early part of 2020 and, and weren't really coming up with a lot of consistent results. And so maybe this hard reset is something it likely can't hurt them and maybe it can benefit them to, to kind of, you know, slow things down. So, so rarely do these guys, these creatures of habit on the PGA tour, do they get a chance to take three or four weeks off in a row, let alone having eight weeks off where they, they really can't do anything but, but contemplate and, and slow things down. And, and so there's going to be some guys who deal with this better than others from a, from a mental and emotional standpoint. And also just from, from players that are going to come back out onto the course and, and they're going to feel more fortunate just to have the opportunity to, to continue to compete. And it might be something that really re-energizes them. Whereas, you know, in, in January and February, potentially they were feeling a little run down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the one name that you mentioned there that was one that I was going to focus on is Jordan Spieth. I think that when the initial schedule came out and it was kind of loaded from August to November of just majors and Ryder Cups, and you, you sort of thought, well, if he's got you know, three, four, five months to, to really work on the, the problems that he had in his game, certainly off the tee and places like that, that, that a November Masters would really suit him. I mean, this is a guy that, that plays Augusta tremendously well. He's got a win, a second, a top five. You know, he's, the worst finish he's had there is inside, just outside the top 20. So, you know, he would certainly benefit from that. And another one you mentioned was was Phil. And another guy that I looked at was, was Justin Rose. I mean, he was you know, back end of last year and, and before that was playing some really good golf and was a world number one. And all of a sudden he's had sort of three or four missed cuts. Now he strikes me as a guy that would really relish just having time to really practice and, and iron in some, some out some faults in his game. And, and if he can just grind and grind away, we might see a completely different Justin Rose to what we saw in, in March to, to August and September time. Yeah, and, and with Justin specifically, you've got the equipment component. That when we were at Bay Hill in early March, he was switching out his Honda gear for TaylorMades, and and he was he seemed to be you know in the midst of, a, of an equipment overhaul, and perhaps that was a big part of, of his you know decline over recent months. But I do think that that's a situation where maybe now if he's had three or four months, or maybe not quite that much, but he's got a long period of time to to kind of get comfortable with whatever clubs he's using, even if it's in a simulated format or or chipping around in a range or in his backyard, or he might have an entire Bahamian Island to his disposal. I'm not really sure what <laughs> over there, but, but, you know, it's, it's something where he was in the midst of change and, and it's hard for any of these guys to really flip the switch when it comes to equipment uh, and see the results. And that maybe now, if he's got a few months to, to really fine tune things, he might be, as you said, in a better position to regain the form that we're used to seeing from him. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you hear a lot of players now, like you say, they're not used to getting this time off. I mean, they're normally on the road most weeks of the year and they, you know, they have time off. It's three or four weeks at a time, certainly not eight to 10 weeks. So there are going to be some players that completely benefit from this. They have some time with their family, with their friends eventually, and um, can can really just work on their own sort of thing without the distraction of trying to play an event week to week. But there's also these guys kind of like, you know, the, the Sung Jims that's just won and, and finished uh, well again uh, the week later. And, you know, Lanzo Griffin and Max Homer, people that were stringing together really, you know, lots of really strong finishes uh, and had sort of the masters to look forward to. And all of a sudden they've got to try and re-energize themselves back into the full series. Yeah, I think that those guys are certainly, you know, if you're looking on the flip side of the coin, those are all guys that I would have circled. I'd also throw in. Uh, you know, Sebastian Munoz and even JT Poston. I think if you look at any of those guys that were on the cusp of playing in their first Masters, I think that the emotions that go into that, the anticipation, the excitement of getting, you know, within three or four weeks of, of making this trip down Magnolia Lane that you've thought about for your entire career, and then to 
have the rug pulled out from under you. And yes, you're still going to play the Masters, but now it's not going to be, you know, three weeks from now. It's going to be six months from now or, or further. Uh, I, I think that that at least is going to take some adjustment. And I think that some guys are going to adjust better than others. But yeah, you look at a guy like Max Homa, who was playing some really good golf, top 10s, top 15s through the early part of, of 2020. And, and is he going to be able to to get back and, and see the form that, that he had carry over after this break? And, and I think that it's, it's going to be, you know, a, a sliding scale. Some guys are going to adjust better than others. Some guys are going to come out of the gates red hot. Others, it might take a few weeks for them to get back to the form that we saw from them early in the year. But uh, it's going to be a case-by-case basis and certainly uh, interesting to watch from, from a, a consumer perspective and just as a fan of golf. Absolutely. I think now um, you know, some people may not have seen this, that their Masters field is now set, um, certainly for, for the November renewal. So, there is no way now to qualify for that event. Um, doesn't matter if you win the week before, like you normally can in Houston. Um, you know, and certainly um, top 50 cutoff in the rankings, that's all been finished now. So that that isn't some uh, a motivation factor, if you like, that people look forward to. Um, so there are a lot of things that there is a lot of drama taken away um, from these events now. Um, but I think, like you say, from a consumer standpoint, people are just desperate for golf to return. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're still, you know, if you win an event, you're still going to the Masters. You're just going to go in April of 21 instead of November of 20. And, and that seems to be the, the way that the folks at Augusta National have, have set it up. You're already right now with the field frozen. You're at 96 players, which is pretty high for, for what they're used to. They kind of like it in the high 80s, low 90s range. Usually you haven't had more than 100 players at the Masters since 1966. Uh, so so 96 as a cap feels, feels pretty good. And and they've said once golf resumes, if anyone wins or if you qualify through other ways, you know, a top four finish with the PGA Championship, things like that, you're going to get in, but you're just going to play in the in the April 21 edition, which which makes sense. And it's still going to be an incentive for guys who haven't played the Masters or, or guys who might earn their first win. There's still going to be that extra carrot on the stick. It's just going to be, you know, six months down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other one that sort of focus on is, is the US Open. There's normally open qualifying for that. Um, I don't know if they've actually gone back on the dates that they've got so far. Certainly a lot of those were in June. Um, I don't know if you've heard anything about whether they're going to go ahead. I, I can't imagine the one over here in Walton Heath is going to go ahead. Um, so I, I'm not sure how that goes about this year. Yeah, that's definitely something that they're going to have to uh, reimagine. You know, they've got on, on this side of things, they have local and the final stage. So they had two stages, and they already had said that they had wiped out the initial, the, the local stage, and that was when they were still planning to have it in June. But now, if you if you're shifting it to September, which in New York, you know, New York is, is being really crushed by this virus. It's it's of all the the courses to have the U.S. Open, I don't know that the USGA loves having it at Wingfoot this particular year, just because that area has been really hard, hit harder than than most, and even the prospect of having that event in mid September comes with some question marks, but assuming that they do play it, they're going to have to basically reimagine how the sectional qualifying goes. And, and it's something that is as with many things this year, it's going to be unprecedented. I think that, you know, USGA officials pride themselves on the, the concept of having about 50% of the field come from these sectional qualifiers and 50% from, you know, top 60 world ranking and major champions and, and other automatic qualifiers. So I, I don't foresee them wanting to go down a road where there are no sectional qualifiers. That's such a, an intrinsic facet of the championship and, and the notion that, that it's open uh, very much to, to anyone that has a handicap and a few hundred bucks for the entry fee. But, but in terms of how they pull that off, that's another situation that's going to be tough because normally they would have it state by state and you, you would have you know a dozen different 
uh, sexual qualifying sites that are spread across the country and right now spreading, you know, venues around the country, even just staying within the U.S., that's adding a lot more variables. And, and it's going to be something that's going to be difficult to pull off, let alone when you figure how is it going to fit in with the PJ Tour schedule? Are you going to have sectional qualifying around the time that you're having the Tour Championship? And and who knows? So, uh, you know, that's certainly something that is going to have to be addressed. That's, that's something that the USGA has been open about as, as an issue they're currently working through. I definitely think that that facet is kind of a let's cross that bridge when we get there situation. Let's get golf up and running first. Let's play Colonial in June. Let's figure out if we can salvage a 2020 season. And then as we get closer to mid-September, then we can figure out how to sort through the U.S. Open field. Absolutely. And it's interesting you say that about winged foot because that was the next point I was going to make is that, again, a bit like the PGA Championship where there's there's a good chance that that has to move venues or, or get postponed again. You know, this could happen again with the U.S. Open. You know, the September date is not safe in winged foot because of its proximity to New York. So um, we, we've got a, a picture here that although, yes, there's hope with the schedule that's been released and, and everyone's certainly working towards that. There's still so many moving parts. I mean, I think the only real one that we can kind of sort of hope for that is going to be definitive is the November Masters where, um, you know, I don't think Augusta are going to release that date without being able to stick to it. But again, nobody really knows in this kind of situation. But how do you how do you expect November Masters to play any differently as you would in April? Yeah, it's, I agree with you. I think if there's one that you can pin your hat on, it's probably going to be the Masters. If there's one that you would want to play, it's probably going to be the Masters. So I, I think it's okay with that. Even if you only have one tournament left in 2020, let's make it the, the Masters in November. Uh, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I very much hope that they can pull it off. Um, just to see the course, you know, we're so used to, that's the one event that comes back to the same place every year. We're used to all these images and this is kind of like peeking behind Willy Wonka's curtain here to see how the, <laughs> the course even looks in in the fall with the leaves looking differently. And, you, you know, the the deep dive for, for the golf nerds, including myself, in terms of, you know, how the turf is going to play differently. And you have the overseed and versus the Bermuda and, and so on and so forth. And it's going to be wetter. It's going to play a little longer. It's going to be a little cooler than it would in, in April. But I think that a lot of it is, is going to still look somewhat similar. And I think that the, the majesty of the course is still going to shine through, but it's absolutely going to be, you know, a fascinating case study. It's, it would basically be, you know, golf's version of a unicorn. You go into it knowing you're never going to have one of these again uh, in all likelihood or in our, in our lifetimes at least. And, and so I think that it's, it's going to create a, a fascinating subplot of, of who can acclimate themselves well to the new conditions, who can, you know, accelerate the learning curve and, and figuring out how the course is going to play and and who it, it's going to benefit and who it might not but uh as you said it's certainly it's a tantalizing prospect and and one that hopefully we can all see come to pass in a few months absolutely and i think you, you know you touched upon there that it's going to be cooler um certainly in the mornings and there's going to be less daylight so i think there's going to have to be a different format in terms of pairings and whether they go out early which may affect some of the older players with back injuries and things like that that they're gonna to have to deal with the cooler air but um, certainly from from what I've read they're kind of they're expecting the greens to run as fast as they normally would the the weather in November can generally be just as good as it is in April it's just like, like this situation we've got nothing is predictable especially with the weather um, so it you know it's it's hard to really speculate who would who would perform well there I think you're still looking at the same sort of guys that perform well there every year really um, it's just one of those things that I think everyone's just desperate for golf to return and, and like you say if it's going to be one event this year, let's hope it's the Masters in November. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do think that, as you mentioned, the daylight is going to be an issue. I, I could foresee them going back to the, the split T start, which is not something that the Masters usually wants to do. But with the, the daylight issues and, and the you know TV issues in the U.S. with having NFL over the weekend and trying to juggle all those pieces, or potentially NFL anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think that if you're going to have a November Masters, you have to have it split tees and going off one and ten and threesomes, and and you're finishing closer to four or four thirty than you would at you know seven or seven thirty in the evening as you would in April. So a lot of variables in play, but but certainly uh, those are all good problems to have. Absolutely. Well, I think I just thank you for your time today. I think you know we've covered a lot of ground there. Certainly uh, brought people up to speed that maybe hadn't seen the schedule changes. Uh, certainly looking into the background of what that means for certain players and things like that. So. Um, from myself I just want you to stay safe and take care and hopefully you can get back out there and, and do what you do best which is which is right about golf and, and certainly you'll uh, be looking forward to getting back to that um, guys if you, if you don't know Will he's uh, Will Gray GC on Twitter you can uh, follow him for all his updates and and uh, certainly do that because he you know there's certainly a lot of information he's revealing and, and the best thing we could do is keep up to date at this time so Will thank you very much Yep, thanks, Tom. Good to be with you. Hope that uh, you stay safe as well, and, and hopefully next time we chat, we've got some recent results to uh, to go over, because I, I know that we're all looking forward to getting back to that. Excellent. Thanks very much, Will.